Whenever I feel my life is out of control, I make a list. Usually it's a to-do list of small and large projects, friends I should contact, and even items I need to buy. It helps me focus and regain a sense of control. My guest today is Amy Siskind. She's made a list also, but hers is far more important than mine. Amy's list is a chronicle of every worrisome occurrence in Donald Trump's first year as president. I'm glad she did. Ironically, I kept a list too, but felt so overwhelmed after only weeks that in the interest of my own health, left the task to others, like Amy. I'm eager to hear how Amy's faring mentally and physically. I'm Alice Bloom. This is A Town and Village Two. Welcome back. Amy, thanks so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Now, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a lot better before Sunday, but um, hanging in. Yeah, Thank you. of the Mueller report or the... Well, the bar letter, yeah, which is Mueller generous. <laughs> well, 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 we'll get to that. Now, I really admire your initiative and your perseverance in keeping this kind of a list. As I said in my opening, I started to keep a list, and I had friends who did too, but we were just mortified and zombie-like after a while. What motivated you to keep a list? I, I was concerned about him during the election that there were so many elements of the way he stoked hatred of others that growing up as a Jewish American reminded me of the rise of Hitler that I had learned about as a child. So I, I sort of an ear to the ground for him to begin with. Um, but I noticed at the time after the election, he didn't shift. He never shifted to have any policy or visions in the early days after the election when the Southern Poverty Law Center recorded a record amount of hate crimes, 400 in the first few days. He didn't condemn those. He asked for understanding. And so every alarm bell went off. You know, so my upbringing sort of brought me to that place, but I, at that point, decided to read up on authoritarianism. And one thing that came out to me from reading several authors is, even if this is new to our relatively new democracy, the rise of authoritarianism has happened around the world many times, and there are certain patterns that we could glean from what has happened in the past. And one of the messages I took away was the importance of writing things down and the Saturday after the first full week after the election, um, I went up to Valkill, Eleanor Roosevelt's home, and I grew up, my mom and dad were a little bit older, so I, I grew up hearing stories about um, the Roosevelts and the Kennedys, and Eleanor has always been my North Star, so I went to Eleanor's home for guidance of what do I do? And I had all these things kind of you know, moving around in my mind that morning, just as a trip down memory lane, Trump was tweeting about the cast of SNL, about the cast of Hamilton, about the New York Times. And I took from my trip to Eleanor's home, which I've been to so many times I could give tours, the importance of we the people in our democracy and our voices, um, and the importance of holding our government to account. So I, I came home that night and I made the first list, which was nine items. and. The first week's list, I actually had screenshot a tweet from a New York Times reporter criticizing his own paper's coverage. And the next morning, it was gone. 
but it lives on forever on the weekly list because I did screenshot it, but I thought to myself at the time, that's strange, they're taking down information. But all of the things that happened in those early times, really starting from the time he said Mexican rapist on the campaign trail, he's been consistent throughout. He's the same Donald Trump 124 weeks into now keeping the list as when he started after the election. What was the response of your family and friends when you started keeping a list? Uh, you know, probably similar to what you and your friends said, my, my, my kids in particular who saw the strain on me as it started to get longer and became a bigger responsibility, kept saying to me, let somebody else do it. And as we got about six months in, I realized I was the only one doing it. Um, and actually, I realized pretty quickly after about three weeks, the, the first list was nine items, the second was 18, the third week was 20 some odd. And in the third week, people started to say to me, oh, I missed five of those items. Can you start adding hyperlinks? So then the lists become more sophisticated and more traceable. Uh, we left them in their authentic form in the book but and on the website. But um, Originally, your list was on Facebook. Originally, it was on Medium. It still mm -hmm. is on Medium. And I would cut and paste it on Facebook and Twitter. Okay. There's now a, a full website in addition to Medium, theweeklylist.org which we'll talk about as well. But uh, at the time, my kids just said, and my friends were like, let somebody else do it. But I had realized pretty quickly the significance of what I was doing and that nobody else was doing it um, in the first few months. Did you find that there were people who said to you, as they said to me, oh, you're taking this way too seriously. He's not going to do those things that he says he's going to do. Give him time. Yeah, I, I got compared early, well, after a few months, to Cassandra, the mythological character who could see things in the future, but her, her curse was no one would believe her. So it, early on, uh, myself and actually a lot of women who had spoken out and seen early signs were called hysterical, were called, you know, don't believe them, they're just, you know, being crazy. Um, when the Washington Post reviewed my book, in their review, they, the writer there, Carlos Lanzado, called me a sentinel for what was happening, that in each era when these kind of things happen, there are people that see things. And I do, I still see things that I, I feel are coming. Early on, I did videos with moveon.org that are on the website, and I would see that he was allying and changing the world order early on, and people would look at me while they were videotaping it like an utter horror, and then Sure enough, <laughs> you know, he's, he's very predictable when you follow him, unfortunately, like I have for two and a half years. Yeah. What do you hope will be the consequences of your list? Do you try to raise awareness? Are you hoping that it's going to lead to more activity, more resistance? Well, my role, I guess, as a, as a citizen has morphed. I mean, I didn't set out with any grand vision. I just w was writing things down and I started my book tour talking about the list and ended the last three to four months going around the country to help get candidates elected to Congress because I realized if we didn't put a check and balance against him, we were cooked. So I, and I'm about to start doing that again. I, I, I see through the work the importance and it's also giving me a voice, which has obviously on Twitter, I, now a third, about 350,000 followers. There's positives to that. There's, believe me, many negatives to that every single day. Uh, but I have that voice to kind of make people aware 
you know, with the danger signs are going off, which is what I'm doing now. Have you become a target? Yes, several times. I, um, when the first piece came out uh, that broadly described my project, it was in the Washington Post. Margaret Sullivan wrote a piece about it. And shortly after, somebody nominated the list and the podcast that I do now, too, to be archived in the Library of Congress. So that got written about within two to three days I was being attacked by RT, Russian television, um, Sputnik News. Uh, I was being called a radicalized lesbian. So these were all like in the Russian blogosphere and media, state media. So they were after me. I had some weird occurrences on my book tour, having a Russian show up at one of my events. I've had incidents with white supremacists. Um, one showing up at my home here, um, one doxing me for for um, outing them after they had put some disparaging things about Heather Heyer. So, I've, yes, I have been, in addition to the daily sludge you get as being a social media person. Which well, is how, how do you cope with that? I mean, you're just a normal person. You don't have an entourage. You don't have a security detail. You don't have the government or anybody protecting you. Right. How do you cope with that? Be brave. I mean, I just as background and part of my heritage, my mother's brother, again, my parents were born in the 19-teens. Um, my, my parents had me later in life. Um, died in World War II. His plane went down. And he was done with his missions, but he wanted to go back and get Hitler for what Hitler was doing to the Jews. So this is the idea of patriotism and citizen activism is very instilled in my upbringing and very much of who I am. And every time I feel afraid, I think about my Uncle Benny and the courage he had. He went down over, over France, his plane with his crew. Um, and I just persevere. I mean, I, I, I feel blessed to have this voice. It's, a, I guess, a blessing and a curse some days as well. But I have to do whatever I can to save us, because we are in, in serious danger now as a country of losing our democracy. Have you inspired others to work along with you? in your quest? I believe so. I, I, you know, I think a lot of the people that are involved uh, with me on social media are being activated to get engaged with indivisible groups, with their local candidates. Um, I've hosted and continue to host con uh, congressional candidates from around the country to come to my home and help them, um, recognizing the importance of elected officials. But I think in terms of what I do every day, in addition to the weekly list that comes out Saturday, I, I've become a bearer of truth because I only post reliable information. There's been times the media has been wrong. And then I'll have to re, you know, go back and point out on my list that this has, story has been corrected. But I'm, I'm very particular on which media sources I use. So if you see it on my page, unless the media has totally blown up a story, it's going to be factually correct. So picking out that, those kernels of truth as a service, but also rallying people to the importance. Um, I had a lot of people and helped a lot of candidates around the country in their election in 2018. Let's talk a little about the substance of the list that you keep. Are you able to identify the truly dangerous behaviors and isolate them from the simply repugnant ones? Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, so what I do, my, my litmus test is 
is this different than something, say, Obama or George W. Bush would do? And that caused a lot of confusion in the initial weeks because people would say, look what's going on with the Obamacare repeal battle. Why aren't you reporting on that? I don't report on things. I would report in those cases on Mitch McConnell having people with disabilities handcuffed and pulled out of their chairs for protesting. That's not normal. So everything in the list is something atypical to democracy or a right of protection being taken away or, you know, that we're just not noticing or, or protocols disappearing, the way our judicial branch has been changed and precedents that have been in place like the blue slip for a century disappearing. So Trump has quietly in the last few weeks been able to put three lifetime appointees on the Ninth Circuit. Most people don't know that because they're not paying attention, but that's the kind of, you know, in the weeds stuff that I capture every week. So how do you, where do you get your information from? Especially, I mean, you're talking to somebody who reads a lot, and many people I know read a lot, but we can't quite deal with the amount of information that comes at us. And some things fall through the cracks. What do you use as your source of information? Yeah, so one thing, uh, one gift I have <coughs> from my first career, which was a, a trader on Wall Street, is I'm very good at digesting information quickly. And what I, I'm also by background, economics with a minor in math and computer science. So I have a very nerdy side. So I've done the best I could to keep things static, control as much as I could about keeping the list as consistent as I could. So I follow the same number of news sources and people on Twitter as I did the first week, which is just under 300. And so it's my way of sort of making sure that I'm gathering information but not going broader uh, than in the early weeks. And I, I tend to capture everything. If, if there's something I missed, I might add it back or add it to a, a current week. But I, I only look at um, the most veritable news sources. The Washington Post is the probably number one. The New York Times, they've you know done a not as great job, but clearly New York Times. CNN, NBC News. I don't look at, for example, the Daily Coast or something that's super far uh, right. It's really like mainstream, veritable reporting. Well, but that's an important point because so many people say to me, what can I read? What should I read that's not on the right or the left? What is objective? Yeah. What's a good source of facts? Well, my number one source tends to be, and it's, I, I see everything, and I read everything, and then every time I read an article, I say, oh, is this something different than Obama did? Is this something that George W. Bush or Reagan would have done? And sometimes Reagan has done it, or George W. Bush, and then I don't include it. But I've, I tend to find... Um, First of all, I, during my book tour, I didn't have time to keep up with the list and watch TV any, anymore, so I stopped watching TV, and I realized I missed nothing. A lot of those same people, if you're on Twitter, are saying the same thing during the day on their Twitter feeds, if you want to follow them. So I found that to be not a good use of time, although I, don't, I have more access during the day. If you're at work during the day, then watching the cable TV news at night might be helpful. But I tend to um, find Washington Post, Politico, NBC News, New York Times. If you started out with those four, you would, you would capture. It's enough. Yeah. You hit on an interesting point. You mentioned this is not normal, and we've heard that repeated many times. One of the things the introduction to your book mentions is the gaps in our system. Yes. We've learned that normalcy is not necessarily codified. Well, I think everybody, that was a lesson for all of us, that what we learned in high school history courses about checks and balances mm -hmm. 
is an idea. It's a norm, not a law. So a lot of these things are not codified, like having to file your tax returns, <laughs> having to get a proper medical exam. What's happened since I started the list, and it happens every week when I go to you know finalize it on Friday or Saturday, and I look at stuff that happened Monday, and I'm like, that happened this week? That seems like two it years ago. Good. And that happens every week. So we are bathed in chaos of information, which is authoritarian by design. Trump is constantly sending out distractions and look over here and follow the shiny coin. That's a device he's used. So in any given day, every day I do the list, there are several stories that in normal times would be top of the hour, front page of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. I should add Wall Street Journal does good reporting as well. Um, would be front cover for, for months and weeks. But we have five or 10 of those for a day, and then the next day it's Thursday. So we live in this sort of sense of anxiety and exhaustion. So, I, so you're saying that's a strategy? It is a strategy. Authoritarian is, you know, that's part of what Hitler did in his uprise. It's sort of a propaganda, onslaught of propaganda, so you don't know what's true and what's not true as well. Trump has told close to 9,000 lies uh, or false and misleading statements, as the Washington Post calls it. Or alternative facts. Alternative facts. Well, different. He, he, misleading mm -hmm. statements. But also of note, he's gone up from about 5.9 a day in his first 100 days to 13 to 22 point, you know, 22 a day. But it seems, So we're consuming that many lies on average a day. Well, when you say consuming, I guess what's puzzling to me is when logical people know it's a lie. How does he get away with it? It's a lie that's so blatant, the facts deny it. How does he get away with it? I know the New York Times has started to say, use some qualifying language, like, without proof, the president yes. has asserted X. And it took the media a long time to do that. He's had a war on our media, again, which is classic authoritarianism from before he took office, but certainly after. In my last week's list, I counted the number of times he said fake news, and I think it was 271 tweets. He calls them enemy of the people. So he has consistently, with his base, tore them down to the point that there is a belief on the part of his people, which is 35 to 38% of our country, that whatever they read in the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN is fake news, and it's not to be trusted. And what he has done from the first time where they said, oh, just because you see the crowd sizes at the inauguration look smaller, it's not really, is created this alternative reality, which is also part of authoritarianism. And Kellyanne Conway with the green, Bowling Green Massacre or whatever it was, you know, all these like fake right. things that his base believes and part of our country believes. So there, we sort of live and it's so it's, it's exhausting. And so part of the service I do with the list and then the podcast, if you want to spend an hour and just catch up on the whole week's news, uh, people do it while they go are cooking dinner or gardening or whatever, driving to work. I, I tell you everything that happened during the week and put it in some context beyond you know what is that immediate week and why those stories matter, what he's doing, because I see what he's doing. Um, but it's it, it's almost impossible on a daily basis unless you're actually trained and used to doing it to digest it all. What I don't understand, maybe you'll be able to explain this to me, is how. He has so many willing co-conspirators. He could not achieve the things he's achieved without the cooperation of Congress. 
why that's only one thing when some of his lies oh take something like his medical report where his own doctor admitted that he'd fabricated the whole thing hadn't really examined him or just wrote whatever trump told him to write why was there no accountability on the part of the medical associations to say you have you have defied our hippocratic oath i mean you you just fraudulently created a medical report why is there no accountability for a professional person who collaborated with the president in that lie. Yeah. Why is there no accountability Monday for him saying, I'm going to repeal Obamacare and having his Justice Department overruling his attorney general? This kind of stuff happens daily. And I sort of view them as like characters in my book that I, I don't think we know the answer to this yet. Okay. I mean, we can have some I'm putting theories. you on the spot because you clearly, yeah, you're I, a chronicler. You're yes. not necessarily the soothsayer. So in, in the beginning weeks of my list, um, Lindsey Graham, for example, went with John McCain and Amy Klobuchar to go assure our NATO allies that we were still going to be firm with them. So what happened to Lindsey Graham? He went from this protector of our democracy to one of the worst villains of our democracy, where he didn't even stand up last week for his best friend being, I mean, John day McCain. after day, John McCain being called a disgrace and all but these John other McCain things. But also dead. And he's dead at a warrior. He can't defend himself. Uh, you know, and Graham this week is helping to ram through. Now he said he's going to have, this is, this is dictatorial. He's going to have hearings about Hillary Clinton and the FISA warrants, and Rand Paul is going to have hearings about Obama. But, but, but you hit a very good point, and this is something that has mystified me. Republicans and Democrats used to have different opinions about how to deliver health care yeah. or how to educate the public. We're not talking about issues anymore. There's no talking there's about no issues. There's no talk about There's no issues. When's the last time you, you knew what Trump's issues are other than his wall, which he, but, again, unprecedented. But we used to have that. We used to know about issues of a McConnell or a McCain or yes. a, a, a party member, a member of Congress. Why, what does Trump have on these representatives, these elected yes. officials. What is he controlling? Why does he control them so? You know, I, and again, so what caused that that shift in McCain? There's a lot of speculation. There's clearly, there's reporting by, by Graham, yeah, and, and by Rand Paul. Why did all these senators on Independence Day go to Russia? Why did Rand Paul go to Russia? Um, and these were all after meetings that Trump had in, uh, you know, incognito, with, Putin one-on-one. -on -one. So there's all these curious things, and there's, at this point, speculation. There's proven fact by the Dallas Morning News that Russia has donated directly to several campaigns, including McConnell, including Graham. So that's fact. Is that enough to have them turn on our democracy? I don't know. Are they compromised somehow? I don't know. Are they doing it to grasp from power? You know, I, I don't know. What was also notable as I was doing my book tour is all the, the leaders in Congress who didn't run, who ran away from Congress. Paul Ryan, uh, Daryl Isaw, Trey Gowdy. Like these are, were super powerful people that ran committees and they just left town. Do you think they left to preserve their own sanity yes. and their own safety? Well, not their sanity, but their reputations. I don't think they want to be part of what is happening now. So I think it's a split of maybe some people are compromised, some people took dirty money, some people our grasp for power, and some people were just too chicken told him for account. I think well, all of this will be in the history books, but uh, I would only be speculating. There are certain ethics of democracy, and maybe I'm using the wrong word, that are essential. And that is, I think, um, an understanding of what the truth is. 
What, what are the facts? I guess it was Daniel Patrick Moynihan who famously said, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Yeah. Well, that seems very um, charming now. It seems to me that the biggest assault is the assault on fact, where they, we don't have agreement of what happened right in front of our own eyes. Yep. Do you agree that that's one of the biggest challenges to maintain a democracy? Yeah, it's, it's a tool that they've used, which again is a tool Hitler used. Um, it's a tool that authoritarian leaders do. They set up this cognitive dissonance. So if you want to disbelieve what is right in front of your eyes, you can disbelieve it. But what puzzles me is we understand that much of Trump's base are people who are disadvantaged, people who did not recover from the last recession, people who were compromised, who saw people on Wall Street get major bonuses and get bailed out, and they lost their homes and their pensions. There are a lot of people who are desperate. I think that storyline got played out to be untrue. I think what we learned, that was the initial reporting that it was these working class people that had been left behind. I think what we've learned subsequently is it's working class people who feel left behind because black people, Muslim Americans, mm. women, LGBTQ got, took their jobs. Well, my next question was And so be what he's done effectively since the Mexican rapist comment and throughout the transgender military ban, getting rid of DACA, the Muslim ban, everything is about making our country white again and taking us back to the 1950s. So I think what we've learned is this sticky 35 to 38% was not about jobs, it was about the that was just convenient. Because my next question was, if that was the case, why are so many people who are not in that category supporters? Yeah, and that's a, you know, underneath it, as you look at the data, a very racist assumption, because a lot of working people are people of color who did not vote for him. A lot of the people that did vote for him and what, what, why he continues to stoke this hate of others, nothing has changed from Charlottesville. I mean, I started with week one saying, mm -hmm. We have to grant understanding to others in Charlottesville to I mean, that, that horrible attack in New Zealand. And he, he has no words for it. We've, we, you know, we're part of an uprise of white nationalism around the globe, and we are a sort of epicenter of it. The rise in hate crimes, the rise in hate killings, the biggest you know, killings of Jewish Americans in our history, and Trump saying there are good people on both sides. Um, this is all part of his mantra, and those, those people that are stayed to him, they might, in words, say he's authentic, but I think what the data has shown subsequently is uh, we have a lot of racism, we have a lot of xenophobia, we have a lot of homophobia, and that is what's attracted a lot of the people that stick with him. As you saw in midterms, the people in the middle that were independent got really turned off by all of those kind of degradations of our values, and that's why you had a blue wave. So um, I think that storyline about the working class, which is a white, story because I yeah, it's only talked about the white people um, has played out differently as I've put together my list. We have very little time left but we have to talk about the release of the Mueller report or the release of the bar yes, experience of the, of the Mueller report. Yes. What's your take? Well, first of all, our media did us a, a grand disservice including the New York Times on their front page saying Mueller report. You know, again, and that's the whole problem with our media and the disinformation. Not only Trump it, but the, the media can be their own worst enemy too. They've been back on their heels. What's happened Sunday uh, was a, a letter, I call it a letter, a four-page letter describing 300 pages of 22 months of work. And our media immediately changed the narrative 
to take away the possibility of him leaving office early. Because they immediately said, now, no matter what, even though we haven't even seen the Mueller report, because there's no Russia collusion, which, again, we don't know, all of these other investigations, there's an investigation in the SDNY, there's Letitia James's investigations of Deutsche Bank, there's the emoluments clause, there's several attorney generals, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these other investigations, but our media shifted the narrative. So now we are really in danger because there's nothing in between us in 2020 and 2020 will not be a fair election. I mean, it, Russia will be waltzing in here. We've done nothing to change what happened in 2016. Do you think the full Mueller report will ever be released? I, I am um, concerned that it will not be, because he's gotten away with everything else. Remember, when he fired Sally Yates, we said, this is the end. When he fired Comey, this is the end. How many times have we said, he won't get away with this? I, I, I kind of intuitively knew something was not going to go right. And now Lindsey Graham, Rand Paul, they're all they're standing all in the way of it. Amy, I wish we had more time. We will meet again. I take it you're not keeping the list any longer. I am. Oh, you are? So I'm on week 124. It's on theweeklylist.org. Oh, okay. Well, we'll keep up with it that way then. But the book is published. The book is The List. Yes. And I commend it for those of you who have insomnia. Who <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hard read, and it's a painful read, but an important it's one. It's important to, yeah, those are the first 52 weeks to understand what we've already normalized. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. To you at home for watching, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you.